that we do have victory by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, it is a different life we live today um, on this side of the cross. Amen? Uh, for those of us who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, those of you uh, kids, if you'd like to be dismissed from Children's Church, um, you can follow Miss Brenda out the back there. And for the rest of us, we're going to be tracking through. We're, um, we're, uh, we're in the midst of a study um, that, I'm calling one, that we're calling 180. And the, the idea here is that um, when I came to Christ, I don't know about you, but when I came to Christ, my only thought was, I need forgiveness for my sins. What I came to realize over the last, um, I don't know how many years have happened now between here and there, 27 or something like that, um, what I've come to learn since then is that I wasn't just in need of forgiveness of my sins, I was in need of, of restoration for all that sin had corrupted in my heart and in my mind. Are you with me? So it wasn't just that I needed forgiveness, I needed also restoration. And I'm in continual need of restoration because I find what I find over and over again is that the effects of sin in my life go much deeper and much further than I ever realized. And so when I come now at the age of 42, when I became a Christian at the age of 15, what I can tell you today is the words that we had up last week by John Newton is that I am a great sinner, but I have Jesus who is a greater Savior. Amen? He, he is able to do in me all that I need to restore, and He is making us new. Amen? That's one of the things that Paul talks about in, in the second letter to the Corinthians, is that he is restoring what was lost um, because of our sin, what's been broken and what's been corrupted and what's been warped because of sin in our lives. And the honest truth is, is that all the world is, is captive to sin. All the world is in bondage to it, except those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are being restored. Amen? It's, it's never perfect. We're not going to get there in this life. But thank God He is doing work in your life and my life. <clears throat> before, I, before I get started, man, I want to I tell you how important the stuff is that we're talking about today. Your children need to see the effects of the gospel in your life. You with me? Your grandchildren need to see the impact that Jesus Christ has had in you. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, they need to see that the real solution, the real hope for mankind is not in something else, it's not in trying harder, it's not in some religion, it is the hope of the gospel, amen? This is so important for us to get, I, I, I'm, I'm, boy, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm nervous today, I don't usually get nervous, I'm nervous today because the importance of what I'm talking about is, is huge and it's so huge that I want every one of you to get it. Matter of fact, I wish maybe we could just have some one-on-one -on -one time, I don't know how long that would take, but uh, let's see, if I do this half an hour and there's what, how many of us today, I don't know, 65 of us here today, um, okay, I, I might be here tomorrow too, but um, but but there's, it's so important for, for us to get to understand that, that the salvation that Jesus has for us is not just forgiveness of sins and then hope for eternity one day. It is hope today that he can restore my life, that he can make me the man that he's called me to be for my wife, that he can make me the father that I'm supposed to be for my children, that he can make me a humble servant at work to exhibit and to show the light of Christ in, in everything I do, that, that around me people would see the impact of the gospel in my life. And that's why what we're talking about today is 180, the 180-degree difference that the Lord is making in my life day after day after day, that He's restoring and He's fixing and He's correcting and He's making me new and fixing what's been broken by sin in my life. Amen. You with me? 
the Lord Jesus done something besides just save you in eternity? The Lord Jesus done something besides that in your life? Yeah. The, the Lord Jesus the, redeem your relationship with your spouse? Did the Lord Jesus provide for you in a way that you can provide for yourself? Yeah, he's done that in each of us, and the people around us need to know it, and we need to see it. We've been talking about Jacob um, in Genesis. So if, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in, Jake, in uh, Genesis chapter 30, or actually in the end part of 29. And let me just recap a little bit about Jacob's life. So Jacob is born in Genesis chapter 25. Jacob's born and he has a brother whose name is Esau, right? And they're actually twins. And who's born first? Esau. And Jacob is born second. And what's he doing when he comes out of the womb? He's actually grasping his brother's heel, right? A, 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 um, a metaphor for him being a, a schemer, a deceiver, because he's, he's pulling, he's grabbing hold of his brother's heel, which um, the word Jacob means, actually means deceiver. How would you like to be named that? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, yeah, this is my brother, the deceiver. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, well, that tells me a little something about you. Don't trust that guy. I always keep him in front of you. Uh, Genesis, the end part of, of Genesis chapter, chapter 25, when they're younger, um, Jacob is, is cooking. Esau comes in famished. You remember the story? And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. And Esau says, I'm famished. Just give me food. Okay, you can have my birthright. And he schemes. Jacob schemes, here again, schemes Esau out of his birthright. In Genesis chapter 27, J- Jacob comes into his father, Isaac. Isaac's getting old, and he wants to bless his sons uh, just before he dies. And so he comes in, and he wants to bless his sons, so he calls in his sons. And so Jacob comes in, and his, actually his, his mom uh, is kind of part of the conspiracy here, part of the scheming. And he schemes his father out of his brother's blessing. And he gets the, he gets the firstborn blessing to, to get and receive his, his father's inheritance. So in the end of Genesis chapter 7, Jacob flees from Esau. He's afraid for his life because Esau at this point has kind of had his fill of, uh, of Jacob and is plotting to kill him. Um, in the first part of chapter 28, um, uh, Jacob's mom and dad tell him, don't marry amongst the women here. Go back up to, to uh, an area, a region called Padan Aram in a, in a city called Haran. And go up there, which is north of the Euphrates. So here they are in, in Canaan. And he tells them to go up and, and to marry um, actually in his mom's father's family. Marry um, in, into his mom's father's family. Go find a wife. And so beginning in chapter 28, Jacob begins this journey where he's going to leave. And you remember, this is what we talked about last week. Jacob is sitting and he, well, he's actually laying down and he's using a rock for a pillow. We don't usually do that anymore, but they, this is how they used to sleep. Kind of weird, I know. Um, he was using a rock for a pillow. And as, as he laid there, as he laid there, he has a dream of what? Yeah, as, as stairs, right, that are planted on the ground and then ascend into heaven. And up and down the stairs, there are what? Angels coming up and down the ladder, and God is at the top and, and talking and speaking to Jacob. And here is, is this incredible moment in history where God has promised to Abraham, I will make your descendants many, I will give you this land, and I will, I will make your offspring a blessing to all, of, to all the peoples, all the nations of the earth, all right? And so that promise goes from Abraham and from Abraham into Isaac. And here at this moment, when, when God's given uh, Jacob this dream, he says, and I pass my covenant, I pass this promise on to you. You will be the one through whom I, I, I pour a blessing. You will be the one whose descendants will inherit this land. You are going to be the one and not Esau. Jacob would be the one to receive the, the Abraham's promise and Abraham's covenant. And it's so funny, and I didn't get a lot of time last week. I kind of ran out of time. But it's so funny because in response, what does Jacob say? If 
you'll be my God. If you'll go with me on this journey. If, notice the things he's worried about in, this, in that, part of the, that, that first part of uh, chapter 28. He says, if you'll bring, give me food and clothes and bring me back to this place, then, I, then you will be my God and I will worship you back in this place. And they call that place what? Bethel, Bethel, which means the house of God. Okay, so that's the promise. So anyway, isn't it funny? Isn't it incredible? So, so God's promising, I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to make your descendants multitudes of people. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you, which is foreshadowing of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that would happen through the descendants of Jacob now. Okay, and he promises all that, and Jacob, you know, looks up to God and says, food and clothes? I mean, isn't that so much like us, right? God has incredible, amazing things, and we're worried about food and that's right. Jesus would actually have to tell us in Matthew, he'd have to say, don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll wear. This is part of the human condition. We're always concerned about very simple, very low-down things. When, God, when Jesus said to us, your father already knows you need these things and he will provide for you. Let's move on, right? That's kind of what Jesus is getting to. You know, let's, let's get to something much more important. And so, but anyway, isn't it interesting? And I love this story. So God there talking and, and, and actually kind of having this conversation from between the tops of the stairs and the bottoms of the stairs with Jacob promises all these incredible things, and Jacob says, if. He sets conditions on God, okay? Now, when you and I think of setting conditions on God, I don't know what you think. I think fire and brimstone. I think, what? You're going to make conditions on me, right? Why don't I just smush you, and I'll start over with your brother, right? But listen, God is patient. And Jacob's faith was weak and imperfect, and he basically tells him, essentially, he says, I will go with you on the journey, and I will prove to you that I am the God who will look after you. I will, I will look after you. I will give you food. I will give you, you, you clothing. I will bless you, and I will bring you back safely to this place. I'll protect you from your brother Esau, who was this wild hunter dude really, that he was really scary. You know, and actually, it's kind of interesting. We read about Jacob very early on that he liked to dwell amongst the tents of his father. What's that to say to you? Girly man. What did you say? He, said, he was kind of a mama's boy. I mean, so you get the difference. Here's Esau, who's a hunter and, you know, this, you know, kind of man's man. And you get poor Jacob. And now Jacob's taking this journey, and he must be scared to death. So what does he pray to God? Oh, food and clothes. Just don't let me starve to death, and don't let me, you know, die here of the elements, all this stuff. So anyway, um, but in, God has this amazing, incredible stuff for him, and, and that's what he's worried about. But as imperfect as his faith is, as weak as his faith in God is, God says, I will go with you on the journey. I will look after you and I will protect you. Listen, that is great news for me because my faith isn't perfect. I'm, I, there are times that you and I doubt the Lord, aren't there? There are times that we doubt his goodness and we need to know that he will over and over again say, I will prove my goodness to you again. I will prove to you over and over my goodness to you. Yeah, we, we need that, don't we? We, we have to know, we have, that, that has to be who God is because my faith is too weak to just always believe that he's always going to do what he said he's going to do, amen? But he's patient with us, thank God. Okay, so let's kind of continue. So, so Jacob makes the journey. It must have been scary for this kid. You know, he's going up, he's supposed to go find a wife. He's, he leaves the, you know, he's been dwelling in the, in the tents of his father and he, he goes up north from Canaan on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean and actually goes up into, into north of the, uh, up into kind of Mesopotamia is kind of how we think about this. This is north of the Euphrates River between the Euphrates and the Tigris at the headwaters there where Haran is. Um, be cool if I had thought of a map. But anyway, I didn't. But you, you kind of get it with these hand signals, don't you? Okay. 
And so, um, so what happens, so in chapter 29, I'm just going to talk through it, and then we're going to really hit the, I'm going to hit the kind of the, the last part of the chapter. So Jacob finally arrives there in Padan Aram, where his mother is from. And he's supposed to go see his mother's dad, whose name is what? Cheat, if you have to. That's all right. Laban, yeah, or Laban, yeah, Laban. Uh, who goes to see Laban, and he, he arrives there and he meets with Laban. Well, the first thing that happens, really, is he gets to see for the first time the lovely, the beautiful Rachel, right? And the lovely, the beautiful Rachel, who is, who is Laban's, uh, right, who's Laban's daughter. Wow, I've got that right, don't I? Um, who, who he goes to see, and he sees Rachel's daughter and takes, kind of helps her take care of her sheep. She's a shepherdess. Okay, and so what we have here, so, so Jacob, the schemer, Jacob, the deceiver, enters into a relationship, enters into a, um, 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 a covenant, a promise, where he's going to work for Laban for seven years, and then he's going to win the hand of... Rachel, right, our heroine, right, the, the beauty of our story. He's going to win the hand of Rachel. He works for him for seven years, and then Laban gives him his daughter and ends up giving him who? Leah, who he was not in love with, right? He works for seven years, and, and he earns, he, he gets Leah, okay? And so he's, he's, he's upset. He's all right. And so isn't this kind of funny? The guy who was the schemer and the deceiver has been deceived, and he's upset about it. That's kind of like you and I, isn't it? Right? What people, right, we commit sins against people all the time. We do all this kind of stuff, and we kind of give ourselves a pass, and then someone does it against us. It's like, whoa, stop the whole world. I've been, someone sinned against me. This is unjust. This, it shouldn't be like this, right? We're, we're that same way, aren't we? But anyway, he's upset because he's been schemed. He's been deceived. Um, and so what happens is that after a week, Laban says, okay, you can marry my daughter Rachel too, but you, I can't, you know, it's, 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 the, um, it's a custom of my people where, where the firstborn has to be married first. So he gives her, 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 him Leah, and then he also gives her, him Rachel. And so after a week, but he says, but the, here's another condition. You have to work for me for another seven years. So how long does he work for Rachel? 14 years. Don't you love the story? So, so here's, here's the story, right? Is that, so, the, so Jacob works for how long? 14 years to win over Rachel. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that kind of romantic? But the other, other part of the story here that's really great here is that you talk about loving devotion. I mean, you know, I dated my wife for, I don't know, like a year and a half. I, I'm, I'm a loser, I guess. So yeah, I, I did my wife for like a year and a half that I put into our relationship before we got married. He worked for 14 years to earn her hand. Talk about devotion. You, you talk about love. You talk about self-sacrifice. It's all right here in Jacob. And, and in a way, let me just kind of foreshadow because I think all of the Scripture is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's plan to bring about the Lord Jesus Christ. So get this. Jacob would later have his name changed to what? Israel, right, who became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel by his, by, um, by his children, by Leah, by uh, Rachel, and by their maidservants, right? So, so, um, so here we go. So he's demonstrating this love, this self-sacrificing, this devoted love that he has for Rachel, he's having for his children. It's kind of like a picture of Jesus Christ and the loving devotion that he would have and his willing to sacrifice himself on our behalf, on behalf of his children, on behalf of, of his people, true? Uh, so really, it is really is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? So, um, so here, so here we go. So for so for fourteen years, he worked this self-sacrificing devotion to Rachel. You talk about a you talk about what must be a great relationship, right? Talk about what must just be an incredible love that they, that 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 Jacob has for Rachel. And this must be this must just solve all their problems. Not really. Let's read. 
Okay, so Genesis chapter 29. Read with me there in 29, beginning in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. So how about that? So Leah um, was not loved. It was, she was just kind of this package deal that her dad had put together. Um, when, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, uh, which, means, uh, for, which sounds like he has seen my misery. Uh, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Uh, verse 33, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Simeon probably means the one who hears. I, I love those two verses. I love what it says here. So did, did you hear what it says? It says, is, by, by Leah's own account, by her own testimony, she is saying, the Lord has seen and the Lord has heard me in my misery. So, so here she is. She's miserable because she's not loved as much as Rachel is loved. And she's there in her misery. And because of that, the Lord opens her wombs. And she gives her children the names of a testimony about God, the God who sees her and the God who hears her and who's kind to her and gives her children. And, he sa- and she says about him, he hears me. And he sees me. Listen, th- this is not the only time. There are other times, even in Genesis, where this happens, where God is, go- who God is defined, he is named. He is the one who sees me. He is the one who hears me. He's the one who is aware of your struggles. He is the one who's aware of your suffering. He sees, he knows, he hears, and the best news of all, he cares about us. Amen. He, he sees when we go through things. He, he knows and he sees. And, and for us as believers, that, has, that carries incredible weight. That means that no matter who else around us, the God of all creation knows our suffering. One of the Psalms says that, is that, that he, he captures our tears in a bottle. He, he, he saves them. He stores them. He, he's aware of all of our suffering. He's, he's aware of every tear that we shed. He's aware of every suffering that we go through. Th- that's good news for you and I because we need to know that no matter what's going on in our lives, God knows, he sees, he hears, and he cares for us. Amen? This is important. Okay, verse 34. She conceived again when she gave birth to a son, and she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Levi um, sounds like and may be uh, derived from the Hebrew for attached. How about that? Uh, for attached. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord, so she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. All right, let's pause there for a minute. So this is a story of the account of, his, of Jacob's children through Leah. Now we're going to get to Rachel and, uh, and her story. In verse, chapter 30, verse 1, it says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became what? Jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. How about that? This is weighing really heavily on Rachel's heart. Now, let's, uh, let's continue. Let's just read verse 2. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? L- let me pause there for just a moment because I, I want to ask you, what's going on in Rachel's mind here? Why is it that she's jealous of her sister Leah? Yeah, so she's been able to have children, and it's made her jealous. Uh, why, would, why would that make her jealous? Why, why, why would, you know, what, what's going on in her mind? Do you, what is she afraid of, ultimately? Yeah, that Jacob's going to love Leah more, right? 
This is why, you know, God allows polygamy, which is very confusing, isn't it, in the Old Testament? But you know what? It never works well, right? I mean, we all read, you read the story, right? This never works. God's intention was not for a man to have many wives. And, and uh, I would say, I don't, I, don't, I don't want more than one. No, not really. Um, <laughs> just, I'm, that was a joke. Yeah, <laughs> that was a joke. One is, is plenty, is, is a wonderful blessing. And, uh, and I love my wife, and I've got a better marriage than any of you have. How about that? No. Because, uh, because the Lord has been gracious to me and uh, has renewed our, our, our marriage, as you well know my testimony. Uh, but um, anyway, so she's ultimately, she's afraid she's going to lose Jacob's love. Here's the crazy thing about it. Who did Jacob work for 14 years to get? Why would she be afraid that she would lose his love? Because, because, um, because um, Leah's given her, giving him children. Okay, so here's the deal. This is, this, is, this, is, this is the deal right here, right? Is that Rachel's trying to earn something she already has. You with me? She, she's saying, well, if I can just add children, if I could have children, then he'll really love me. Then I won't, then I won't lose him. Then, 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 it, then he won't love Leah more. And, and, and if I can just do that, then, then, then I'll really have his love, you know, forever. And, 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 and he'll always be bound to me, right? Because she's what, like you and I are, she's insecure. She's afraid. She doesn't think that she's Maybe enough. We talked about this a little bit last week. All have these feelings that maybe, maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I'm not sufficient. Maybe I'm not enough. And so she has feelings kind of like you and I have feelings about feeling like sometimes we're a fraud, um, like feeling like sometimes we've got to do something else. But she begins striving and she begins working to make sure that she can earn her husband's devotion. Here's the crazy thing. What else could Jacob do? What else could he do to prove his love to her? He, he worked for 14 years. Show me another man who's done that. Show me a greater expression of devotion and love. You're not going to find one, right? You're not going to find one, save what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. You're not going to find a greater devotion than that. But somehow she wasn't secure enough in that. No, here, here's the big picture, is that you and I are just like this. We all have things in our lives that we're reaching out for significance or reaching out for security or reaching out to feel important or reaching out to feel whatever, secure. And all the time, God is saying, I have given you enough significance to last you for all eternity. What I've done for you is enough demonstration of my love to last for all eternity. And so why would you be reaching for anything else? And here's the, here's the truth. One of the things, you know, one of the things that, that the Old Testament really teaches about, um, I'm going to use the term, the, the term idol, uh, about idol worship. People didn't worship idols because they thought they were neat little trinkets, right? They worshiped idols because they thought they could get something out of it. You with me? So, so the, the, the people of Israel, they moved into Canaan, and they, these people had gods of fertility, well, fertility was important because you needed to have children because that's what they used to call social security, right? Um, you needed to have children to take care of you when you got old. You needed children to work your farm. You needed to, work, you needed to have children to work your sheep or whatever. And so the way that you had more sheep, the way that you had more cattle, the way that you had more uh, whatever, and the way that you had more children was by worshiping these little local deities, right, that, that they were all full of. But all of that was kind of centered around these insecurities that all people have. Do I have enough? Am I enough? Is, am, I, am I significant enough? Am I secure enough? And so these people were reaching out to these other false gods, these local deities, who we actually are false gods, right? These local deities, and they were reaching out to them for something that they needed, 
not realizing all the time is that God was more supreme than all of those things put together and able to bless them and able to secure them and able to give them more significance than they could ever need. And you and I are just like that even still today. You with me? Here's the problem, though. When you go to an idol instead of to God, there is always a consequence because it's sin. One of the things that you're going to learn from in the Old Testament, if you read a lot of the Old Testament history or even a lot of the Old Testament prophets, you're, what, you, what you'll pick up on is that people worshipped idols because they thought they could get something back from them, right? They would, they would devote time, they would devote money, they would pour out offerings, they would have whatever kind of offerings because they thought they got something back in return that they needed. Here's the deal. In Christianity... We have all that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't need a multitude of false gods to get it. He is the one who supremely supplies us with all that we need in this life and the next. Amen? Everything we need. And whenever you and I reach for an idol, we reach for, for significance. I, you know, I try to make people, you know, if I'm, if I'm at my work and I'm, and I'm working hard, I'm striving, I'm working, I'm trying to manage my image. I want people to think well of me. I want people to, to, to look to me because I'm, you know, to make me, myself feel important or to try to earn their respect. And I work and I strive and I work and I work. It's never ending, is it? It's never enough, is it? Because I was created with a hole in my heart that was bigger than any person could fill. I was created with a hole in my heart that belonged only to the eternal God. And he's the only one who can fill the need that I have in my heart. Amen? When I go to another person, listen, this plays itself in our, out in our lives in a, in a dozen different ways, in a multitude of different ways. It's people who, who try to grasp and reach and strive and work so that they can maintain their image so people might think they're important. It's people who, who go around and they try to amass stuff. They try to, try to gather up things and they try to m- make themselves feel like they have enough stuff or, or they become important because of all the things that they own and then those things end up owning them, right? Every time that you reach for an idol, for your needs, instead of worshiping, for, instead of reaching for the Lord, it will always cost you something because those idols are terrible, horrible, mean masters, and they can never give you what you want, and they will always leave you wanting. It's an endless road. It's an endless do loop, and they will never be able to provide for you what you're looking for. That alone, that, that job alone, that ability alone rests with our great God. She's insecure. She's, she's feeling now competitive. There's this jealousness that's worked into their relationship. She's afraid that, that she's, she, uh, these fears come in, and so she's working and she's striving, and now she's scheming. Now listen with me in verse 3. Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has, don't you love this language? He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, I shall name him Dan. Dan here means he has vindicated. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have... I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. Uh, don't you love that? Don't you love that, that word? Uh, let, let me tell just a quick joke, and we'll go on. Um, I, you know, I know this about ladies a little bit, is they tend to have a little more problem with jealousy than men have. Not saying that men don't have some problems with jealousy, but some of the things I know about ladies, if I've, as I've learned for 42 years, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I shouldn't even go here. But I tell my wife and my daughters all the time, you know, you know how to know if a woman wants curly hair? Her hair straight. You know how to know if a woman wants straight hair? 
her hair's curly, right? I mean, this is just part of what it is apparently to be female, right? So I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even brought that in here today. I'm sorry. I, just, I apologize now. Let me just apologize now. Okay. Um, but, but here's the deal. We can, have that, we can have that same struggle with God where we're, where we're working, where we're striving, where we're trying to earn from him what he's already given us, right? Where I'm trying to gain significance, but my significance has already been found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where I'm trying to go around and I'm trying to make myself secure when my security already rests in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Over and over and over and again in my life. Um, we can have that same problem with God. We can try to earn his love and try to earn his favor. Would you splash up there, um, Ephesians? But here's what we read this week in Ephesians. So, so here's the deal. There, many times in our lives, we may feel like we need to earn God's favor, or we've got to earn his grace, or we've got to earn um, what he's done for us. And so we work, and we strive, and we, and we exhaust ourselves trying to do things for God, and we end up in this kind of um, religion instead of relationship in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, so let me stop there for just a minute. When did he choose you? Before there was anything. Okay, so before there was anything, what were you doing? Trick question. You weren't there to do anything, right? You weren't even around, right? So what could you do? And he chose you then. You had done nothing. You weren't even in existence, and he chose you then. Now, I know, you know, I start talking about predestination and, and the pre-choosing of people, and people start, well, what about free will and all this stuff? Listen, let me tell you, every time that Paul talks about predestination, it's for your encouragement. So, don't be argumentative, just receive this. Just receive this from me. Ready? God chose you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he chose you before you did anything. Not because of what you did. Not because he was hoping someday you would be worthy of his choosing. Before you did anything, before you were able to do anything, he chose you. And listen to what it says. In love, next. next slide please. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his, with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it say, the previous, the last part of verse 4? In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. He chose us because why? What? It wasn't because of something you did? No. Because he loved us. So where am I getting at? We have to quit striving. We have to quit working for something we've already attained that came through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing to strive for. This is the difference between what Christianity teaches. This is, this is the 180 degree difference between Christianity and religion. Religion says you've got to do stuff to be, uh, to be f to, to, for, for God to favor you. You've got to do stuff to earn his merit. You've got to do stuff to earn his grace. Christianity says it was done by the Lord Jesus Christ, and now it's just relationship, right? 
right? When I came to my wife, whenever, I, whenever we decided to get married, I didn't write a contract with her and says, these are the things I expect from you, and here are the things you can expect from me. It was, I love you, and I want to be with you for the rest of my life, no conditions, right? That's the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if the Bible says nothing else to people, it says this, God loves people and he will adopt them as his sons if you will have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will love you with no conditions. Amen? L- let, me, uh, let, me, let me finish with this. Here's, here's where we got to go here. How to have a quiet time. We were talking, I was talking to some guys yesterday. We were talking about how poor a job we do sometimes of passing on how to have a quiet time. Listen, this is such a problem. And, and, and um, listen, if you don't realize that you have this tendency, let me just tell you, you have this same tendency as Rachel. You do. I, I know this about you because I have this, this, uh, I have this, uh, this old self. I have this sinful being that still is a part of who I am that's being restored and yet I'll deal with until this body is, is done away and I receive a resurrected body. God hasten the day. Amen. Um, but I, I will deal with this old nature so long as I live on this planet, right? Part of, though, what I've got to realize is that, I, that somehow God has to take what is true in my head and make it true in my life, in my heart. You know what I'm saying? So just the fact that I've stood here and told you today that you're free from having to earn and strive and work for God's grace, that you cannot earn what was never earnerable anyway. That's not even a word. Do you like that? Now, I, I phrase that, so whenever you see it, you know, a few years. Um, what, you, what was never could be earned, what never could be earned, whenever you're striving for that, you, you know, you're doing, we actually do God a disservice, right? We say, I don't care what Jesus Christ has done, I still think I can earn your favor, right? Even though, you know, multitudes of, of Jews work for years and, and generations and they never quit. So how to have a quiet time. This is so important. Okay, you're going to get up tomorrow morning, and I don't know what you're going to do first. I hope you have a quiet time. You need it. You need time. We need time that we can go to the Lord and He can do the work of restoration of our souls, of fixing what's been broken and twisted and corrupted by sin. And if you don't have that time in the morning, it's not going to happen while you're at work. If you don't have that time in the morning, it's not going to happen while you're eating with your friends at lunch. It's not going to happen while you're watching the little ticker thing go across on CNN or Fox News. It's not going to happen when you get together you know, tomorrow night and watch The Voice. This is time that it should anchor your whole day and your whole life. We have to be in time with the Lord. Listen, it is so important to to meet with the Lord, to be with Him every day and to engage with Him. Now, here's part of the problem that we have, though, is that oftentimes I know I want to read the Bible and I know I want to pray. I have done it, and you have too. I do it all the time. I can sit, I can read the Word, I can, read, I, can, I can be in the Bible, I can pray to God, and I can get up, and I can never have engaged the Lord Jesus Christ at all. Guilty of that? Yeah? So we, we've all done this. This is right. This is the same tendency that the, that the Israelites had, is that when he said, you are people, you are close to me with your lips, but you're far from me in your hearts. That's me too, right? It wasn't just those sinful people. It's these sinful people. We're like that. We all bear this sinful nature even still today. So listen, so when you sit down, what's the goal? Is it to get through a chapter? Is it to pray for your, your children? Uh, no, really it's not ultimately. The goal there is to engage with your Savior every day. 
and to let him into your mind and into your heart and let him speak to you at the deepest levels of who you are. But the, the biggest problem that we have today is we're moving too fast for him to do it. You have to slow down. You've got to slow your body down. You've got to slow your mind down. And you've got to let him speak to you by his word. And, and I'm just going to leave you with that today. Uh, l- let me just encourage you. I want you to be in there. Listen, it, it is so important for the gospel to have an effect of your, on your life. And one of the greatest ways that the gospel can have an effect on your life is just you and just your Savior meeting every morning and letting him speak the truth into your life about who he is about what he's done for you, about the grace that he's given you and granted you because just simply he loved you and you've grown to have faith in him. Amen? That's where, I mean, this is where Christianity happened. This is where where real growth happens. This is where real change happens in the lives of the believer. Simply relationship with our Savior. Amen? Doesn't happen here in a church. All I can do is encourage you. All I can do, Scott likes to say, all I can do is poke you. All I can do is poke you in the eye and tell you, go have a quiet time. Go meet together with the Lord. Go let him speak to you about the truth from his scripture. Go read from the scripture and then let it speak to you about what he says. Let me close with this. Would you go ahead and play that, Tim? Here we got this. 10th Avenue the North wrote this little song called By Your Side. We're going to listen just for the first couple of verses and then I'm going to, I'll dismiss you. This is a great thing to do, too, while you're having a quiet time. Do something that warms your soul towards the Lord. Do something that encourages your heart towards Him. Sing a song. Play a song. Um, let Him speak to you and, and pray. Okay. Back page of your hand. important for all of us to get the gospel, to let the Lord Jesus Christ come and speak to the deep part of our souls about the, about the needs we have, about what he's done on our behalf. It's so important. It's important for your children to see the change that happens in the life of, of a person who's following the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? It's super important. It's important for your neighbors. They need to know that the real hope of all humanity rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Let's pray together. Carl Buck, would you pray for me? And we'll, uh, we'll dismiss today.